Hello, everyone. This is JB with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks for joining us for the podcast today. It is a Sunday, December the 4th, and I'm not going to be in the pulpit today at Plum Creek Chapel because I am in Dallas, Texas for the pre-trib conference. I'm actually uploading this podcast uh, from Dallas. And I uh, just wanted to take a moment to touch base and share a quick word with you. If you are in uh, the DFW area, I encourage you to stop by our resource uh, booth it's Monday through Wednesday of this week. We're at the DFW Sheraton Hotel for the conference. The conference runs Monday morning through Wednesday about noon. And I'd love to have you stop by, say hello, and put a name with the face. Um, but as I mentioned, we've got guest speakers lined up for Plum Creek Chapel, our home church back in Sedalia, Colorado. So I encourage you, if you're in the D- in the Denver metro area, stop by Plum Creek Chapel today for uh, worship and uh, Bible study. Uh, But since I was not going to be in the pulpit, I wanted to at least take a moment to share a quick word with you, and hopefully this will encourage you a bit. Uh, Before I begin, I want to remind you that we are offering to do uh, Zoom uh, meetings with your uh, small group or uh, your uh, church or organization, whatever it may be. We've done a few of these recently, and they've uh, been a really wonderful time to just dialogue and uh, do a Q&A with your group. And uh, then we upload those to our podcast channel, and it's edifying for everybody out there to be able to hear. And uh, so if you'd be interested in scheduling a Zoom meeting, uh, just shoot me an email at uh, notbyworks.org, our website, and uh, we'll put something on the calendar. It doesn't matter how big the group is. It can be an entire church. It can be just a home Bible study uh, or family. And if our schedule permits, we will work something out and look forward to uh, just answering your questions and dialoguing a bit about uh, the Word of God and whatever's on your heart. Uh, We've been doing a lot of those with end times themes. Uh, People have a lot of questions these days about what's going on in this world. And that leads me to what I would like to talk about today. Uh, If you've not picked up uh, our Spirit of the Antichrist books, let me encourage you to go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and you can uh, read all about Uh, what those books uh, cover. You can see the tables of contents and the preface for each book. Uh, But, you know, these days as we see things rapidly unraveling around us, it seems to me there's a real loss of leadership. You know, I'm not that old. You know, I'm 54 years old, but I can still remember as a young man, even in, in, in the last few decades, where we had true statesmen in the White House, we had uh, true leaders uh, in various places of industry, but now it just seems like anything goes. <clears throat> You've got young millennials being CEOs of, of, uh, of corporations. Nothing wrong with millennials, of course. That's just a characterization of an age range. But the uh, typical attitude that comes with some of these uh, folks uh, is just really different from what we've seen uh, historically. And it seems like we, we, we've kind of lost the art of leadership. Uh, as I talk about in Volume 2 under the spirit of pride, uh, you know, Satan is characterized by pride, hubris, arrogance, uh, just utter disdain for, for others and only looking out for his self-interest. And that, that means that his Luciferian co-conspirators, the human accomplices, function the same way as they just uh, run over people on their way to the top. But that's not what the biblical view of leadership is all about. And so today, I just wanted to kind of talk about this concept of, of leadership. And as I was thinking about it, my mind went to Nehemiah. I've uh, studied and taught through Nehemiah many times over the last uh, 30 years, and he is the perfect example of biblical servant 
leadership. Jesus, too, talks about servant leadership uh, in the New Testament, uh, but Nehemiah exemplifies what real leadership uh, looks like. You know, the world says leadership is a function of power. Um, the, the world says leadership is how many Facebook followers you have, how popular you are. The world says, you know, if you a leader without followers is just taking a walk. If you don't have any followers, you're not really a leader. But that's not the biblical view uh, of leadership. Um, I say followers without leadership are just walking in circles. Followers without leadership are just walking in circles. So the world's view of leadership is, is not correct. It's a function of power. But God's view of leadership is that leadership is a function of influence. Influence. You know, it's, it's making a difference in someone or some place or some situation. It doesn't matter how many people you influence as long as you're influencing whoever you can in your journey through life. That may be, you know, the stay-at-home mom influencing her children. That may be uh, the unassuming uh, corporate executive who makes a difference in the company break room or uh, as he's interacting with his colleagues. That could be the coach of the high school football team that influences players by his uh, influences play influences his players. Excuse me by. Uh, the, the integrity and character that he shows on the field and in practice. So uh, we want to talk about this idea of leadership. And I want to encourage you today, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a leader. Because everyone is a leader. Uh, leadership, as I said, is uh, influence. And so let me give you a little background real quick. And then I just want to pull seven principles of leadership from uh, the first chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, when he sort of sets the stage for, for what's happening. So uh, the context here is, uh, you know, 444 B.C., so about 400 years, 450 years before Christ. Um, and it's in the context of the return of the exiles uh, back to uh, Jerusalem. So Ezra and Nehemiah are sister books, and uh, the people in view in their books uh, in the nation of Israel, about 97,000 Jews that uh, began returning to the land after the captivity in Babylon. We call that the remnant. Uh, God always has a remnant. There's a remnant principle that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And today, believers in this present church age who are holding firm the word of God, not compromising, preaching the whole counsel of God, uh, they're the remnant today. But we're talking about the remnant 400 years before Christ in the nation of Israel. Uh, so again, uh, Jerusalem lay in shambles. Uh, the temple had already been rebuilt, but the city was still unprotected. And the people in Jerusalem had no sense of national direction, uh, no sense of national pride because there was no leadership. Uh, they were just still uh, reeling from uh, the Babylonian captivity. Uh, they had no conscious national influence that arose from their purpose as a nation. And they didn't have much messianic hope either, by the way. Um, they, they had forgotten the promises of the prophets of old that God would provide a redeemer and that he, the Messiah, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, would come back and, uh, and establish his kingdom, or from their perspective, would come and establish his kingdom. As it turns out, in God's plan of the ages, the nation of Israel rejected Christ at his first advent, and now we await his return uh, at the second advent. But uh, there's no reference in Ezra, Nehemiah, or Esther to this messianic hope. Uh, so what was God doing at this time in the lives of his people? Uh, the purpose of God, as we see in the book of Nehemiah, at this time for his people was that they should return to him. 
See, God was not finished with his chosen nation. He had a plan, a perfect, unconditional plan. And that plan would not be thwarted, even by Israel's own stubbornness and unwise choices, and even by enemy nations that tried to conquer Israel. So the return to Jerusalem under Nehemiah of the remnant was actually the third of three separate pilgrimages back to the holy city. If you know your Old Testament history, you know that Zerubbabel led the first return in 538 B.C., then Ezra, uh, who led the second return in 458 B.C., and uh, this morning we're focusing on Nehemiah, who led the third return of the people back in 444 B.C., and we're dealing again with about 97,000, maybe call it 100,000 Jews uh, that were uh, kind of lacking leadership at this time. So to return to God means to return to his word. In Nehemiah's day, to return to God meant to return to the law, the Old Testament law. And the people needed to respect God's law. Boy, if we've ever needed that reminder in our country today, it's now. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible how people just completely disregard the word of God. Even churches today are shunning the whole counsel of God. And, and when they do preach from the Bible, it's sort of chicken soup for the soul, shallow stuff that, that really uh, doesn't handle the Word of God correctly. And it was the same for the people in Nehemiah's day. They didn't have the entire Bible as we now have. God had only revealed uh, the Old Testament law at that point. But they still needed to respect God's law. And the man of the hour was Nehemiah. Uh, God used Nehemiah to help call his people back to him. Uh, Nehemiah was not a king or a priest or a prophet. He was just an ordinary citizen. That's why I love this book so much, because we can relate to him. Nehemiah held a cabinet-level position under Artaxerxes, the Persian king, and he became the governor of Judah later. Generally, the kings of Israel had failed. The people had ignored the prophets, and the priests were all corrupt. So God chose a common man who built a wall around Jerusalem in a little over seven weeks. Can you imagine that? In that day, four centuries before Christ, 2,400 years ago, they were able to build a wall under Nehemiah's leadership around the entire city of Jerusalem in a little over seven weeks. Uh, and the people were able to concentrate and give attention to the reading and exposition of God's word. Nehemiah was the man of the hour. He was a man like others whom God had used before. A man who walked and lived by faith. Joshua was the kind of person. He too was neither a king or prophet nor priest. But Nehemiah did for Israel in his day what Joshua had done for Israel in his day. In his day. There was a real need in that day for unity, for leadership, for someone to step up. And boy, we could say the same thing today. If you're counting on your government, forget it. And sadly, if you're counting on most of your church leaders, forget it. Uh, if you're counting on your business leaders or your accommodations, uh, forget it. We need God's men and women who know the Word of God, love the Word of God, and stand firm on the Word of God to step up and to be the kind of leader that, uh, that Nehemiah was. The lost art of leadership. Leadership is influence. and Everyone is a leader. It does not matter uh, what your position may be. So let me give you seven qualities of a leader really quickly here. Um, 
and then we'll be done for this uh, for this podcast. Uh, so if you go back to Nehemiah, uh, verse two, as he begins his uh, book here, he says, "And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped," and and he's talking here about how he had sent word uh, to the Jews in uh, Jerusalem, and he said, "Hey, what's going on there?" Uh, what we see here is a man who had a real concern for others. He cared about others. That's the first quality of a leader. He's not self-centered or narcissistic or egocentric. He is caring about others. Uh, you remember Jesus' uh, parable of uh, the, you know, the uh, Good Samaritan. Uh, he exemplifies that kind of leadership. He went out of his way, crossed the street, and helped someone that, frankly, no Samaritan would ever have normally helped. Um, Jesus tells us that we should love our neighbor as ourself. The Apostle Paul says that we should do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. A true leader cares for others. That was Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. What I love about that passage is that phrase, lowliness of mind, which sounds kind of unusual in English, and that's because it's unusual in Greek too. It's the only occurrence of that word in, in Greek literature. It's a, what we call a hapax legomena, a single use. And it's, a, it's a, a word that Paul literally coins. He coins a phrase. It's the Greek word tapenafrasune, and that's a mouthful. Um, and, uh, and he had to literally coin a phrase because there was no Greek word uh, in the Greco-Roman culture for this type of humility. It literally means to think low, to think low about yourself. And uh, that's what a leader does. He cares about others, not himself. Paul said in Romans 12, tend to be kindly affectionate to one another. And a true leader cares for others. Do you really care? about others. And then we see also that a, a true leader, as exemplified by Nehemiah, shows compassion for the hurting. Because he gets this report uh, from the people in Jerusalem, and they said, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And now listen, Nehemiah says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. It moved Nehemiah to think of what his uh, fellow citizens were going through. He had compassion uh, for the hurting. Going back to Romans chapter 12, Paul says, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A true, ladder, a true leader listens and feels and hurts for others. Do you have compassion for the hurting? So a true leader cares about others, shows compassion for the hurting, and then also is conscious of his place. In other words, he knows who he is relative to who God is. And going back to the text in, in Nehemiah verse 5, uh, Nehemiah begins to pray. So he says, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. Notice how he understands who God is. He's the great and awesome God. You know, on Wednesdays at Plum Creek Chapel, we've been doing a series on uh, the greatness of God. And I wrote an article, I hope you'll read it, uh, just last week. I uh, just posted it, I think, uh, Thursday of last week. 
on uh, do you know who God is? And I've just been reflecting a lot lately on the awesome majesty of God. And I understand that uh, not everybody uh, finds a study of God's attributes particularly appealing. You'd rather study, you know, the fun, simple stuff. But we've got to teach the whole counsel of God. And that's always been my practice in 35 years of ministry. And so I'm taking some time uh, on Wednesday nights to just walk through the attributes of God. The Bible is God's way of saying, here I am, look at me. It's, it tells us everything he wants us to know about him. It's his self-revelation to his creation, to mankind. And so we learn a lot about God. I mean, sure, we understand there's a God from general revelation in nature and providence and conscience, but we learn specifically the attributes of God by reading his word. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, to, to watch the videos from that series each week uh, or listen to the podcast if you haven't already and fall in love with our awesome, mighty God all over again. Think of him the way Nehemiah did as our great and awesome God. Nehemiah was conscious of his place. Uh, he understood uh, the words of the psalmist in Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. God is not subject to time, space, and matter. He is eternal. And everything happens in the eternal now from his perspective. And we become so consumed with our linear way of thinking uh, here within the realm of time, space, and matter. But God exists outside the bubble of time. And he does whatever he pleases. You know, today, even many churches, and certainly most unbelievers, are creating God in the image of man. And that's what Klaus Schwab and all of his satanic cronies at the World Economic Forum are trying to do as they uh, put forth their transhumanist ideas. They're, they're creating a God in the image of man. But the Bible tells us man is created in the image of God. We are God's highest pinnacle of creation. We need to remember who God is and who we are. It comes down to perspective. Never forget there is a God and you are not him. It's difficult for any leader to develop a God complex when you regularly remind yourself that you're not God. You're not God. So a true leader cares about others, has compassion for the hurting, is conscious of his place, but he's also confident in God's promises. Now going on in that prayer, Nehemiah continues, you are the God who keeps your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. God had made an unconditional covenant with his people, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 of the Abrahamic covenant. He had reaffirmed it with David. He had reaffirmed it through the prophet Jeremiah not long before Nehemiah wrote. Again and again, God reminds his people that he is a covenant-keeping God. And as long as there's a sun and a moon and a stars in the heavens, you can count on his promises, as he said through the prophet Jeremiah. And so a true leader is confident in God's promises no matter what the circumstances may look like. And so as Nehemiah is praying, he's reminding himself by reminding God, not that God needed reminding, but often as we pray, we ought to recite God's promises to him, recite the word of God to him. And that's what Nehemiah was doing here. He's looking on the one hand at the city that lay in shambles. The walls were down. Everything was was in disarray, even though the temple had been rebuilt. And he's at the same time conscious of the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. He was confident in God's promises. See, a true leader walks by faith, not by sight. 
Uh, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so no matter what your circumstances, you want to be a leader, you want to be a biblical leader, keep trusting God's promises. So again, a true leader cares about others, has compassion for the hurting, is conscious of his place, is confident in God's promises. And then notice what we see next in Nehemiah's prayer. A true leader confesses his sins, confesses his sins. He goes on to say, and I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Notice he includes himself in that. In fact, he adds, both my father's house and I have sinned. See, a true leader understands when he steps out of God's will and does things that are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord, and he agrees with God about them. That's what confess means. It's the Greek word homologeo. means to say the same thing as. So as a believer... Uh, we, if you've trusted in Christ, you become positionally righteous once and for all. You're a child of God. You're a new creation. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, you've been born again. And nothing can ever change that position. Nothing, you cannot out God's grace. God will never take away the salvation that he promised to give you if you simply trust in him. So at that one time, moment in time, when faith meets the gospel, when you trusted in Christ, in that instant, you were born again. You were saved, and you are now positionally righteous. Your position is in Christ, and nothing can ever change that. But in practice, as long as we're still on this earth and until we get to heaven, we still have to wrestle with the curse of sin and that old man that Paul talks about in Ephesians and Colossians. It's that struggle between the flesh and the spirit that Galatians 5 talks about. And so even though our position is perfectly righteous, our practice often is not even close to being righteous. And every day we struggle with the old man and, and we, we put on the old man instead of the new man. And, and when we do, just like Nehemiah, we need to confess that. Not in some kind of legalistic, formulaic way where we've got to keep a list of every bad thought we've ever had, but just in terms of our attitude before the Lord to say something like, Lord, I blew it today. I, I disappointed you. I sinned against a holy God. And today I want to confess that and make that right. And in that sweetness of confession comes the sweetness of restoration and fellowship. Again, it's not that we lose our salvation or somehow are in jeopardy of God turning out to be a liar and we end up in hell, even though he promised we would have eternal life. Nothing like that can ever happen. Uh, even though we're part of the family of God and that can never change, though, we, we can be out of fellowship with the Lord. There's a difference between, between being in the family of God and being in fellowship with the Lord. And sin breaks that fellowship, that intimacy. And that's why we need to confess our sins just as Nehemiah did. Well, number six, uh, a true leader comprehends the word of God. So we've got a true leader cares about others, has compassion for the hurting, is conscious of his place, is confident in God's promises and confesses his sins. And now we see, exemplified in Nehemiah, that a true leader comprehends the word of God. Nehemiah, in his prayer, continued, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses. So Nehemiah understood the word of God. In fact, he calls his people back to the word of God. Paul would tell us, uh, 400 years later in the very final 
letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy, unless Paul wrote Hebrews, Hebrews was written about the same time as 2 Timothy. If Paul wrote Hebrews, which we can't say with certainty, then perhaps Hebrews might have been his last epistle. But certainly 2 Timothy was right near the end of his life. He was sitting in a prison cell and he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Some modern English translations say correctly handling the word of truth. Paul was writing to Timothy, another leader, and he was challenging him as a leader uh, to handle the word of God correctly. Now remember how we defined a leader. A leader is anyone with influence. Therefore, everyone is a leader because everyone has the opportunity to influence others. And one of the things that a leader does is he comprehends the Word of God. He studies the Word of God. He correctly handles the Word of God. We did a series uh, here a few months ago, uh, maybe longer than that now, time flies by, uh, on how to read and understand the Bible. That's still posted, the videos, in our midweek uh, service section of our videos on our website. Go back and, and watch that. Uh, it will encourage you on how to correctly handle uh, you know, the Word of God. Uh, but a true leader knows how to correctly handle uh, the Word of God. We've got people that are biblically uh, ignorant today, trying to navigate these troubling times. And sadly, they're listening to all kinds of uh, craziness on the internet, different podcasts and videos. And listen, nobody loves to study the Luciferian conspiracy more than me. It's it's what I've really invested a lot of my time in for the past 15 years. And it's it's the what I you know culminated in in the My Spirit of the Antichrist books. But as I hope you've seen if you've read those books. It's all centered on the Word of God. I, I try to see everything through the lens of Scripture because I know that's the only infallible standard. And uh, even though there's a lot of helpful information out there, we've got to always run it through the grid of Scripture, and that's what a true leader does. But there's one more characteristic I want to mention this morning. So once again, to review, a true leader is one who has influence and that influence is demonstrated by caring about others, showing compassion for the hurting, being conscious of your place before a holy God, being confident in God's promises, confessing your sins, comprehending the Word of God, and finally, confronting wrongdoing. Confronting wrongdoing. At the end of his prayer, God says, or Nehemiah says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And listen to this, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You see, Nehemiah was going to be approaching uh, the king and uh, King Artaxerxes. And he knew King Artaxerxes was no friend of God, and he needed to be bold, and he, he needed to stand firm. And that's what a true leader does. He's willing to confront wrongdoing. Uh, we see this again and again in Scripture. Remember when, when uh, Paul, in his letter to Galatians, to the Galatians, his first letter that he ever wrote, he tells the story about how, as a young believer who had only been saved 14 years at that point, uh, Paul confronted Peter. When Peter equivocated on the freeness of grace and was trying to be judgmental and reject Gentile believers, and Paul says, I withstood him to his face, Galatians 2.11. A true leader is not afraid to confront. 
And what we've got today is uh, believers who are passive, who are not willing to stand up to what's wrong, who go along with the crowd. They're bandwagon Christians. And we've got pastors in their pulpits capitulating to the government and not doing what God's word says, not obeying God. Instead, they're bowing, bowing down and worshiping at the altar of government and big pharma and all of these other um, satanically influenced uh, groups. And a true leader doesn't do that. Paul tells us in Romans 16 that we should note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we've learned. We've got to be willing to stand up. A true leader takes a principled stand when necessary. Are you taking a stand? So let me close out with this application. Just to review, a true leader cares about others, shows compassion for the hurting, is conscious of his place before a holy God, is confident of God's promises, confesses his sin, comprehends the word of God, and confronts wrongdoing. Look, I know things look bleak. Uh, we, we understand that we are knocking on the door of the end times. It's definitely the signs of the times are all around us. The spirit of the Antichrist is on the rise. Let me encourage you to seize every opportunity in the urgency of the hour to influence others positively. Uh, lead based on principle, not opinion. Influence others based on a heart of love as exemplified by uh, Christ himself who laid down his life for us. Never forget, never forget that your leadership might just change the world. Well, I hope that encourages you a bit. Uh, we need more leaders today. Uh, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm on an island. Not that I'm a very great leader. I, I certainly uh, struggle sometimes myself with compromise and with discouragement and, uh, you know, take, take a lot of criticism uh, from time to time. And, and when you take a stand, that's going to come. But I don't always respond well to criticism. I'll just be honest with you. So we covet your prayers uh, for Plum Creek Chapel and for Not By Works Ministries as we continue to do our best before the Lord uh, to advance the clear, urgent, and accurate gospel message, uh, to advance the message of God's amazing grace, and to take a stand against tyranny in this uh, troubling time. So God bless you. We'll be back on the air several times this week. I'm on Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo Tuesday morning. That's a live interview. Uh, and you can go to StandUpForTheTruth.com and watch that or rather listen to that radio uh, program. Uh, we've got our monthly interview with the Christian Underground News Network uh, coming up this Wednesday. I'll be doing these interviews from Dallas, from my hotel room while we're there at the pre-trip conference. We're also supposed to be doing an interview with Lamb and Lion Ministries this week while we're in Dallas in studio. Uh, you can look forward to that being posted in the coming weeks. Uh, but pray for us. Lots going on. Very busy time. We're on the road, so we always covet your prayers for travel mercies and uh, for strength and grace. Even though I'm not speaking at this year's conference, I am uh, still engaged in a lot of ministry activities. So thank you for listening today. hope you have a great week, and we'll catch up with you uh, down the road uh, this week in our future podcasts. God bless. <music>